You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we've got something for everyone today. By the way, if you're a mother or grandmother, we're going to talk about the things that you can do to help build the men in your lives. If you're a young girl, you're going to hear some things that uh, I think will help you maybe identify a good man in your life. And of course, if you are uh, you're a man, whatever age, we're going to talk about some, some characteristics that uh, you need to hear from a godly perspective because we have a culture that uh, is really confused about this idea of masculinity, but it's very very important. So we're going to have a good conversation. My uh, guest today is, see if I get this right, Chase Replogle. He is a pastor in Springfield, Missouri at Bent Oak Church. Uh, he's also the host of a podcast that's interesting um, called Pastor Rider. That's at pastorrider.com. We'll try to remember to touch on that before I let him go today. Loretta, great to have you. Chat is open, by the way. If you are watching live, you're invited to be a part of the conversation. If you haven't hit subscribe, follow, share, or like, we invite you to do that now. I want to show you a book that is sort of the springboard for our conversation. The book's help uh you know give us a sort of a platform to talk about something a framework and a place for you to go if you want to go deeper and today it's the five masculine instincts so with that chase great to have you on life today live yeah thank you so much it's a privilege and honor to be here and uh like you already set up well an important conversation that i'm grateful to be able to speak into I'm curious, why did you decide to speak into this? Because, I mean, you know, as a pastor, you're preaching on different things. Uh, you're dealing with every, I mean, all sorts of issues in, in the church, in the community. Why this one? Yeah, well, it is because I'm a pastor. Um, first and foremost, I'm a pastor before I'm a writer. And so most of the writing that I do flows out of, of what it is to be a pastor. And I'm certainly a man myself. I have a son, a father, a brother, and a whole congregation full of men. And I've watched over the last few years as, as this conversation about what it means to be a man, but particularly what it means to be a Christian man, has unfortunately become a point of controversy in our culture. <laughs> uh, even to put the word masculinity into the title of a book, uh, for some people makes it controversial, regardless of what's even inside the book. So I've seen the men in my congregation try to navigate navigate the, the, the controversy around the topic, but also just genuinely try to understand how to become a better man, how to become more like Christ, and uh, all the questions that that raises. So the book for me comes out of that. My heart as a pastor to just try to help men grow to be more like Christ, to grow in character, and just to serve better, to bear greater responsibility in the places God has asked us to do it. I, we're, we're kind of in a war on gender in our culture right now. Uh, do you think a lot of the uh, confusion in the church maybe stems from sort of the, the, the confusion that's in the world? Yeah, certainly we're coming out of a season. A few years ago, this idea of toxic masculinity was was really prominent in the cultural conversation. It's still there today, although it doesn't feel like now the conversation has really shifted to just the existence of gender as an idea at all. But this idea of toxic masculinity was that traditional forms of masculinity around things like competitiveness and stoicism and aggression were harmful to men. 
And so the culture was pushing a conversation about how we needed to redefine masculinity for this new age. <laughs> what I saw happening was a kind of opposite reaction where other men were coming along and saying, no, the last thing you should do is question your masculinity. You should indulge those raw masculine instincts with a kind of wild abandon. And unfortunately, a lot of us got caught between those two poles. I either have to deconstruct it or just indulge it. What the church has always done when it's been at its best is helped men take seriously their masculinity, these traits of what it means to be man, but to mature them, to do something with them, to grow them into a kind of character that can bear responsibility and can serve others. And it's unfortunate that path, how do we take our gender seriously, but then grow that into true manhood, Christ-like manhood, that path is something I think a lot of men are missing today. Yeah, yeah, you identify five of these masculine instincts, um, and uh, you do it by looking at, at Scripture, at men in the Bible. Uh, take us down one of those, and we'll just pick one to start with, and, and kind of give us an idea of, of the ideas that you're formulating. Yeah, sure. I might start with the first one. And as a way of getting into it, um, I didn't I didn't sort of just pick these instincts. Um, these are not the expectations of men that you have to have these to prove yourself a man, nor are these the five sins of men. Uh, I define an instinct using C.S. Lewis's phrase as behavior as if from knowledge. So in other words, your instincts are things that you act out of, that motivate you, impulses within you that seem to you like common sense, seem obvious to you, mm. when in reality you've never probably stopped to consider them or recognize them, nor certainly to, to test them or check them. Mm. And I got the five instincts that I cover in the book actually from one of Shakespeare's famous monologues. The opening lines are familiar. All the world's a stage, and each of us have our entrance and exits. And Shakespeare goes on to describe these ages, these stages within a man's life. And so what I did was give each of those a word and then pair them with a biblical character to help show how they're at work in the lives of the men of the Bible, but also by that, how you can see them at work within your own life. Those five instincts I cover in the book are sarcasm, adventure, ambition, reputation, and apathy. And so maybe as a way into it real quick, the first one, sarcasm, uh, it sounds like a strange uh, instinct to have. Yeah, I, I use the story I, of Cain. I, I have no idea why you would pick that one as one. <laughs> well, certainly people laugh, and a lot of people will say, oh, that's me, I'm sarcasm. Right, I know, right, uh, right here. For all of the instincts, they're, they're not necessarily wrong. Certainly there's nothing wrong with being sarcastic, a sarcastic joke. There's nothing wrong with ambition or reputation. Those are good things. The challenge is when they become an instinct, when they become an impulse, a way of acting without thinking, then they can actually lead to destructive places. The great question of Cain's story is, why does God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's. Every preacher or commentator has had to wrestle with that. Well, the truth is God comes down and initiates a conversation with Cain and says to him, why is your face downcast? Why are you frustrated? Don't you know sin is crouching at your door? You've got to rule over it. Cain has this remarkable opportunity to turn to God and say, well, why? Explain. Answer the question. Why, why did you reject my sacrifice? And actually, Cain has an opportunity to mature and better understand the kind of, of worship that God requires. Mm. Well, how does Cain respond? He walks away silent, he murders his brother, and then when God comes down to him again and says, Cain, where is your brother? We hear his sarcasm, am I my brother's keeper? As a reader, we recognize that Cain's sarcasm is really a cover for contempt. Hmm. It's really his unwillingness to grow up, his unwillingness to mature, his unwillingness to learn the lesson that God by his grace is offering him, though to him it looks like discipline and judgment. And so there's a certain kind of man that can get locked into this instinct, making everything a joke, 
can't take anything seriously, feels like anytime something is pointed out in their life, it's somehow unfair or unjust and tends to be reactionary and impulsive. And it's wow. a discipline or uh, instinct men have to take seriously and pay attention to. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think you just described me at about the age of 19. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you break out of that? You think? So yeah, a good next question, because the goal here in this book is not just to say, look, look at all your problems. Man. Right, uh, right. There's plenty of that going around. Uh, I suggest that for each of the instincts, you pair them with an intentional practice of faith. And I get this model from when Paul writes his first letter to Timothy, who's pastoring in a really difficult place also as a young man. Paul tells Timothy to show his progress, and he'll do that by keeping a close watch on his life and a close watch on the teaching, the doctrine, or the gospel. And Paul goes on to say that by this, you'll save yourself and you'll save your hearers. In other words, you'll be a good pastor, you'll bear responsibility, you'll serve others well. If you learn to do these two works, pay close attention to your life, your motives, your instincts, mm. and pay close attention to what you have in Christ. So I suggest for yeah. those who are wrestling with uh, this instinct of sarcasm, an intentional practice of humility, which I like to define as self-suspicion. In other words, anytime I have a strong impulse, anytime I have a strong opinion, anytime I have a strong reaction, like Cain certainly does, for a moment, I'm going to discipline myself to entertain the idea that I might be wrong, mm -hmm. that I might be responding incorrectly, that I'm gonna be suspicious of my first reaction. Maybe you're right, but just cracking that door and saying, there's a possibility God's offering something or teaching me something here that I need, just cracking that door actually becomes the way in which we begin to grow and mature and receive good things from God, sometimes discipline, but the kind of discipline that allows us to mature uh, and to become a better person, certainly what Cain struggled to do. Yeah, I, I think I think this is really big in our culture right now. I mean, it, you, <laughs> the sarcastic response, you, you just described social media, almost like 80% of it, you know, mm -hmm. because it's it, there seems to be this self-indulgent, uh, habit on social media that is very sarcastic uh, and and it lacks self introspection. You know, I guess that's redundant. Lacks introspection completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see a thing happen with social media where people will post something almost reactionary, and it's almost as if posting it publicly has now solidified it in their life, and they start defending it. What I want to say sometimes, if you had really thought for a couple days about that, do you even actually think that? Is that actually your view? Or did you just respond and now you feel the need to support it and back it up and defend it? So yeah, it does almost seem to lock us into our immaturity or it definitely doesn't give us space for self-suspicion. How many people follow up on social media by saying, you know, I think I was wrong earlier. <laughs> we, we don't tend to do that. Well, I, I, that's funny. That I like that you use that phrase because that's one that I've adopted recently. It took me way too long, I think, but when, when expressing or ask your opinion about something, I, I have very often started, and someone pointed this out recently, by saying, you know, I, I don't know, I could be wrong, but, and then express my opinion. What that does uh, is, is it allows someone to counter or to shape or to speak into that without sounding combative, because you've already set the table that, you know, I, this is what I this is what I'm thinking, but I'm open to better thoughts. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, and it is it is the humility, especially defined that way. That pause is the fundamental disposition of faith. 
because Christ calls us to be poor in spirit, to mm. recognize that we have needs which we on our own can't address. That's the hunger and thirst for righteousness. I need things that I can't produce on my own. Uh, meekness, I think meekness is a kind of internal strength that doesn't need to respond, that can take a hit without having to mm. hit back. That's mm. the thing Cain struggles with. So in many ways, that definition of humility being a pause, maybe I'm wrong here, a moment of self-suspicion, mm -hmm. really opens the door for you to receive things from God that if you weren't able to pause, you tend to just rush right past. You tend to assume that you're right and oftentimes miss the better thing that God is offering. Yeah. Interestingly, that applies to women as well. And that that's yeah. the very universal Um yeah, I think all of these, I get this question a lot. Um, I have a little assessment on the website people can take and people will say, you know, can a woman take this quiz? <laughs> Certainly. Could a woman read the book? Certainly. Um, I, you know, I think it's interesting. The Bible doesn't give us a male savior and a female savior. It doesn't say men be like this Christ and women be like this other Christ. We're all called to Christ likeness. But my contention in the book is to really do that requires that work we were just talking about with Paul's advice to Timothy, to know yourself. And certainly to truly know myself, to know my instincts, my impulses, my desires, is to take this gender that I've been given by God seriously, to bear responsibility for what he's given me, male and female. And as I begin to do that, we're all aiming at Christ's likeness. But as a man with my bio biology and experience and gender, um, there's certain things I have to pay attention to, certain tendencies I have to recognize, certain things I have to mature as I am striving to be like Christ. So certainly there's huge overlap. Um, there's no male fruit of the Spirit and female fruit of the Spirit, right? We're all <laughs> called to the same fruit of the Spirit. But to do that takes paying close attention to ourselves and our own instincts, our own desires, our own impulses, and certainly being male or being female factors into that work. Yeah, and you know, I, I was thinking about this recently, the idea that there's no male or female in Christ. How, what does that look like? What does that mean? I, I want to get your take on that, but real quick, I want to show people, you mentioned the quiz. This is the website, the5masculineinstincts.com, with a number five in there, by the way. And if you go up to the top of it, you'll see right there where you can take that little quiz, male or female. You can take the quiz yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, just a fun exercise to, I, I think, push you towards a little bit of self-introspection. But um, with this idea, because uh, it's, it's, there's there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know ten, if tension is the right word. There, there's, there's some nuance here because we're very strong right now in our culture saying, you know, no, God created male and female. So let's go with what, the way God created you. I recognize you as God created you. I accept you as God created you. No need to mutilate yourself or to try to change, you know. And then we go, but there's no male or female in Christ. What What is the balance there? Surely you've, you've thought about this one. Yeah, well, I think the right place to start is by saying God created them male and female in his image. And it was good that there's something about who we're created to be in both genders that is reflective of God's mm. identity. And that, that there is goodness in being female and goodness in being male, which is something I think we need to hear. I, I like to think of my gender as a responsibility, that mm. God by his sovereignty has made me born male or made my daughter female, my wife female. And there, there is something by that divine decision that I bear responsibility for. I'm called to steward. Mm. Uh, as we're both aiming at Christ's likeness, we do have to take that into account, that there are certain responsibilities because of my gender that I bear. There are certain expectations because of it, certain biology and hormones that factor into it as well. 
I use the illustration in the book that um, if, if two sailors set out from California to go to Hawaii, the same destination, Christ-likeness, what really matters is the kind of ship that they're sailing. If you're on a cruise ship, you point the bow to Honolulu, you'll be there in less than a week. If you're on a small sailboat, oftentimes sailors will sail almost due south to catch trade winds to then be able to cut back further to the west. I think that's this idea of maturity, of Christian maturity, is I pay close enough attention to myself to recognize my own instincts, my own tendencies, and I cultivate the skill set necessary to mature that reality into Christ-likeness. And there are going to be times where the women in my life help me do that, recognize how to mature as a man, and yep. there are going to be times where other men share experiences, share biology, share even cultural expectations that we navigate, that all of that factors into having the wisdom to say, how do I pay close attention to who I am and close attention to what I have in Christ through the gospel and bring those two things together into a Christ-likeness, into a character. There's certainly overlap and we help one another, mm. but there is something unique about what we've been called to steward in this gender that God has given us by his sovereignty and called good in both cases. Boy, wow, okay, you have thought about that. I like that, that's that's really good. I, I, that rings, that strikes my spirit as, as really true and helpful. I hope people will hear that. All right, I'm gonna, I'm going to ask you, I'll show people the book again real quick, about halfway through. The Five Masculine Instincts by Chase Riplogel, uh, available now. Forward by Mark Batterson, by the way. I love Mark, friend of the ministry. Talked to him several times, so that's cool, by the way. <laughs> um, but I, I want to get to the, the, the fifth one in your book, this instinct, uh, because I think this is another one that, especially in Western culture, really is easy to give into. Uh, and I don't just mean like in the world. I mean in the church, because especially the churches that um, kind of harbor on uh, on how bad the world is and the sin of the world, which is true, but it can lead to sort of a drawing back, sort of a you know I I don't want any, any part of it. This what you call apathy. And I think that's very dangerous because as Christians, I believe anyway that we are we are called to to engage all areas of culture, but yet the, the, there is this instinct just to just pull back. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that one. Yeah, well, I think you're wise to pick these two because I think they are both true of individuals, but I think you're capturing cultural realities taking place right now. And certainly apathy within men feels like one of those to me. Men mm. are participating in church less than they used to. They're dropping out of work and education at increased rates. The fatherlessness epidemic, which is really an apathy and disengagement from the home is just at the root of almost all of our social challenges. Uh, where's that apathy coming from? Well, certainly men understand the cultural moment, understand the complexity of, of being a man, the questions that we were talking about at the beginning, the possibility of conflict over trying to talk about those conversations. Yeah. And it's caused a lot of men to withdraw. I feel it as a pastor. It's never been easier. I mean, to say this frankly, it's never been easier, easier to build a women's ministry and to empower women, which I believe in but it feels like you're navigating something riskier when you try to build a men's ministry and have conversations about manhood today. So it's easy even as a church to withdraw from those conversations, to feel apathetic about those things because of the controversy. I use Abraham's story, which is a little bit surprising here because Abraham's the exemplar of faith. I mean, he follows God and leaves all, abandons all in pursuit of God. But there comes a point where there's a kind of false ending in Abraham's story. Abraham 
has finally received Isaac. Abraham has signed peace treaties. He's planted a, a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and you expect the story to now go on with Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you turn the page into Genesis chapter two and 22, and you read, but God tested Abraham, and he calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. I think the most vulnerable moment of Abraham's life was when all of the promises had been fulfilled when he had the finances and the peace and the son, the family, that was the moment where he certainly still believed in God, but it never would have been easier for that faith to have atrophied and become something not quite alive and active anymore. Mm -hmm. And for many of us as men, we understand the complexity of relationships, the complexity of our world, the complexity of how little control we have, and our tendency can be to retreat from those things into what we do have, a retirement fund, a hobby, a recliner at home, right. whatever little enclave of control that we can carve out. But God tests us, not to prove ourselves, but to give us an opportunity to awaken our faith. We make a sacrifice as a way of waking that faith back up and leaning into that complexity. There's a great line in the book of Hebrews where it says that Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac even from the dead. And I love that word even because it implies Abraham moving into that ambiguity. I don't know exactly how God is going to do this, but even if it means raising him from the dead, I'm trusting and believing that God will work in the midst of this ambiguity and this complexity. That reawakening of faith is something so many men need right now to serve as fathers, to serve in churches, to serve in communities. I know it's complicated. I know it's complex. I know your recliner and your hobbies are a lot more fun and easy, <laughs> easier, but uh, God has called us into that ambiguity, into that complexity, even believing that in the midst of it, he can do something that we don't yet see. You know I, know, I know you didn't intend this, but this this feels like a personal examination where we've gone from my youth, <laughs> of my sarcasm, to the apathy because I'm we're, I'm an empty nester now, mm. which is wonderful, um, and I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that pull to just be like, whew, I've done it. You know, I've done my part in, in life. It's my just time, kinda, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Well, and but, there's nothing wrong with, there are certainly seasons of life. There's nothing wrong with a sabbatical. There's nothing wrong with vacations. What are vacations if not a, mo a break, right? right? A chance right. to just recharge. But if you find yourself, uh, any listener, constantly slipping into that, constantly retreating from things that are difficult, constantly pulling back from things that are complicated, retreating back into what you can control and not engaging anything out of your control, then you risk your faith atrophying. You risk your mm. faith becoming something uh, no longer active and alive. And I actually think you risk a lot whenever you do that. More, You think you're protecting yourself and your comforts, but if you read Abraham's story closely, most of the moments of conflict and pain and tension within his family came when he found himself withdrawing, protecting, and mm. unable to engage. Mm. Boy, I think that's good. It's interesting because in my rest, we'll call it, <laughs> you know, I have felt a stirring of, okay, there's there's a next, there's a, there's a more. And I think that's just God in our lives because we're, you know, as long as we're drawing breath, God's got purpose in our lives. Uh, and and so that's, a, that's really, I think, significant that you point out to that. I do have a question uh, from the audience. Uh, and. Great. I don't think he knows this, but uh, the question falls right in line with uh, Moses uh, in, in your book. And the question, it, it's, uh, it's, he asked, does aggression fall under ambition? Are there healthy expressions of aggression for men, or is this just something that needs to be suppressed? 
Uh, yeah, and that's course, at the heart of this toxic masculinity question, right? Because yeah. that's usually when people talk about toxic masculinity, they're they're describing aggression. Certainly, I mean, certainly we could turn to so many places in the Bible and look at the way men's aggression leads to, to problems. We can also see the way that that aggression, when checked and controlled, God can, can use. He can actually use that intensity. Mm. Uh, the question is, is it something that is under God's control? Or is it something that becomes uh, an impulse? I think you see that in Cain's story that we talked about. Cain is aggressive, murders his brother as a reaction. He can't control it, right? But God can mature us to the point where that impulse to, to act or that impulse to defend can be something for good. But it's certainly not good if it goes, uh, it goes unchecked, if it becomes something that masters us instead of us being the master of it. Mm. I actually don't think as much as this gets the the discussion in culture, which again, there are men whose aggression is out of control and should be checked. Right. But I worry more about apathy. There's an Irish proverb that goes, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. One way men can go wrong is aggression, certainly. But there's another way men go wrong, which is apathy, a lack of engagement, that they sort of uh, swerve to miss one ditch and end up overcorrecting into the other ditch. And I worry that that's the real challenge men are facing today is we've become so apathetic, so disengaged that it's hard to get men to do anything, to be involved in anything. And we've really got to waken men back up. So I think both of those are things we should be on the lookout for. Yeah. Oh, I always trust in the, in the wisdom of the Irish it's good yeah. proverbs. It's good. It's the good. wisest among us. <laughs> That's right. You know, Chase. I appreciate. I appreciate this. And this. This is great. I'm curious because I know as a pastor, when you write a book, you've tested this on your church. <laughs> Have you not? Have you preached this from the pulpit? Yeah, so much I did after the book, but so much of my my take on these Old Testament characters across the book comes out of preaching through those and yeah. working those out in yeah. my life and the men's so, life in my congregation. Yeah, as well. so so here, here here's my question: What has the impact been on the men that you can see when they when they get this? I think two things. Number one, a good book gives gives the reader language for describing something that they know is true, but maybe they didn't have a way of talking about before. I hope mm. this book does that. I mm. hope it allows, it gives men the tools to say to one another, much like you and I have been doing. You know, I think this apathy thing is real in my life. And for another man to say, yeah, you know, I see that and understand that too. It gives us an opportunity to become better disciples because we now have language for these instincts. Remember how we described them, behavior as if from knowledge, things we just rationalized and assumed. Now we've got the ability to discuss and describe and help each other check. So I hope it does that. The other thing I hope it does is I help. I hope it carves away from men through the controversy around masculinity right now. Mm -hmm. If we spend all of our time just digging the same trenches of defenses deeper, the two sides have been drawn, we just protect the sides, men don't move forward. And I think we risk men posturing a theological position, knowing the right answer, but it not being true of who they actually are as men. What we desperately need are men who can set aside the controversy for a moment and say, I just wanna be more like Christ. Mm. I just want, I wanna grow in character so I can love a wife better and be a better father and serve in my church better. And I hope this book inspires men to take up that work. We've all got opinions. We all know the cultural conversation, but what would it look like for you and maybe a few other men in your congregation to just say, we want to intentionally grow in character. I think mm. that solves so many of the problems if we could just 
take up that work. And unfortunately, it's the one that so often goes undone because of the controversy. So language and a path forward to character is what I hope the book does. Yeah, good. I like that. That's really good. All right, before I let you go, I got, I do want to put a little spotlight on uh, pastorwriter.com because I, I love for people to keep following. I, I really, I, you've got some great insight and um, I want people to find, you know, this way, which is pastorwriter.com looks like this. Uh, which has got the book, obviously, as well, but it's got it's got a lot more. I see you've got one of the growthies there. Uh, been a while since I've talked to those guys. Um, yeah. What do you do at PastorWriter.com? So uh, Pastor Writer Podcast has been uh, a few hundred episodes now. Early on, I focused a lot on writing as I was kind of working out my own writing. Uh, we talked a lot about writing, but these days it tends to just be the books I'm reading and conversations with the authors who wrote them. So it's really a chronicle of books that I think are helpful for Christians. And I get a chance to get authors on the podcast and ask them questions about what they wrote and have some important conversations. So if you're looking for book recommendations or you're looking for what to read next, that's always a great place. There's a good, I try to keep up with what's coming out and good interviews there, uh, but hopefully just a tool to help you continue growing as a Christian as well. Did you read the Andrew Clavin book? I did, yep. Uh, did you interview him as well? I did. Yep. Yep. I had a chance to get an advanced copy of it. And so I read the book. Uh, it's a challenging read for some people if you're not familiar mm -hmm. with some of the romantic poets, although it's a fascinating read. Yeah, and I is. really enjoyed that conversation with him. So. Yeah, I, I, I did the same. I read the whole book and, mm -hmm. and interviewed him. And I he, he's got a lot of things that I think would help men especially. But uh, yeah, in, interesting. OK, I love it. I love what you're doing, by the way. You enjoy doing that, yeah, I'm guessing? I do. I love, I, I like this. I like having conversations <laughs> with people. I like talking about stuff that matters. I like reading books. So, you know, if I can bring a few people along to listen while I'm doing it, uh, we all win in the process. All right. Chase, well, if we get Replogal, yes? Replogal. You got it. That's perfect. So right. it's a weird one. I'm not, anything that starts with an R is close enough for me. So. <laughs> all right. well, appreciate you, man. It's been fun. It's been a fun conversation. And uh, you guys out there, check out his website. Check out thepastorwriter.com and the five basic I'm, I keep saying that the, the five masculine instincts.com as well. Uh, looks like that right there and, uh, pick up the book. I, I honestly, I, I, I know father's day is coming up. Um, and for any, any man in your life, wow. A gift like this, that would not just, uh, you know, say, Hey, I remembered you on this day, but here's something that can build you into, uh, the man that God wants you to be. And really the, the kind of man where you will, You'll, you'll understand your own value and your own worth, your own purpose in this life. I think it's it's really good. So, again, Chase, I appreciate your time. Appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. It means a lot to me. Appreciate all you guys out there hanging out, watching. Uh, oh, man, I didn't select my music. Here's some music for you on the out, and I'll show you the, uh, the book one more time so you know what to look for when you go out and get that Father's Day gift or just buy it for yourself right now, The Five Masculine Instincts. Appreciate you hanging out. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. Flowing and abundant springs of grace.